So I helped grow and scale this travel tech company. Um, actually, that's where I met my husband. And, um, you know, in five years, we grew, I mean, I started with them, it was like 10, 12 million or something like that. And, you know, in five years, we were able to grow it to 120 million. Uh, and then well on its way to 150 million. So we exited on a pretty good high. When you said uh, 120 million or 150 million, you're talking about annual revenue in Australian dollars. Yeah. Wow, that's pretty impressive. While the world's still asleep, we're already grinding. Walking for streets, big city lights so blinding. Learning and hustling in this relentless game. The emerge parts next up, we're breaking the frame. Uh. Hi, welcome to episode 14 of the Emerge Podcast, where we break down emerging markets and give you actionable insights on how to start and grow your business in them. For today's episode, Laurie and I sat down with Joanna Button, who is an entrepreneur from Australia. Now, Joanna's achievements are second to none. She is a startup consultant and angel investor, and she's also a director for the Thai Australian Chamber of Commerce. We spoke to her about how she took her travel tech startup from Australia to Thailand and then to an impressive $150 million valuation. Her perspective on working with people in Thailand was especially insightful. If you're thinking about starting a business in Thailand, you definitely need to check this out. Okay, so you, you moved straight from, from Australia to Thailand? Yeah, we used to, um, we, we had a travel business here. We used to come here all the time, you know, for months on end. Um, and then we just had an opportunity here in the Asia, in, in here, and then we just thought, you know, what we'll go for two years and see how it went. And then COVID hit, and we got stuck. Um, and then so we just decided, you know what, let's just stay. We actually really enjoyed it. I was hope I actually gave my husband two years, and I just said, I'm, I want to go back. I don't see myself living in Asia, Europe maybe, but definitely not Asia. And then I just fell in love with it. Even though COVID hit, I just saw all of the issues that other countries were facing and just really fell in love with Thailand. I think 2020 was like a pivotal moment for a lot of foreigners in Asia. Like, am I going to stay here for, for a long time or am I going back home? So yeah, where were you guys like based you, in Asia? Where are you guys based? I, I used to be based uh, in Jakarta, so in Indonesia. And then when 2020 hit, I was like, okay, I've, I've been here for 10 years. I wanted to change something, like explore some new places perhaps. And then I ended up going back home. <laughs> so, so yeah, that's, that's, that's a bit of my story. But the travel ban was uh, kind of harsh on Australia, though. I remember that, you know, they were like pretty bad and stopping people from entering and exiting. Yeah, it was incredibly brutal is probably the word. It's, you know, that's why I fell in love with Thailand and, and Asia. I've always sort of lived in Europe um, and Australia and the Western world, but I mean, not really Asia, um, although I may look Asian. Um, but yeah, it, I just saw just the differences between how Australia navigated through the challenges of COVID and Asia. And, you know, you know, Thailand, and I've got this here, I think, in, in the uh, notes, that they had QR codes and delivery drivers. I mean, obviously, the, the, the cost in terms of, you know, um, the entry point of, of, of a base salary is, is much cheaper here. So you can, you know, afford to have, you know, delivery drivers and things like that. But they just had QR codes everywhere. They just made it very seamless and easy when COVID hit. And it, it really affected me because we, we invest in a lot of technology companies, you know, and blockchain and things like that. And, you know, for me, I just I, got, I was really impressed by how innovative they were, how agile, 
how completely open they were to change as opposed to some of those in the Western, Western world who were supposedly so far ahead in terms of innovation and technology. So that was, I was really impressed by the way that um, Thailand handled that period. You told us before that you were actually not new to Thailand in a sense that you had a travel business. So was that travel business about like sending Australians to Thailand for vacations or, or what was it? What no, was it, doing? it was a travel technology company. So I helped grow and scale this travel tech company. Um, actually, that's where I met my husband. And, um, you know, in five years we grew, I mean, I started with them. It was like 10, 12 million or something like that. And, you know, in five years, we were able to grow it to 120 million uh, and then well on its way to 150 million. So we exited on a pretty good high. Two years after we'd left, it kind of went crashing down and, you know, we were actually about to sell it to, to a big travel company. And yeah, but, you know, two years after I left, because I had a baby, um, it, it went down and I was like, you know, one of those opportunities that you go, ah, oh, you missed out, you know. Um, but it was, a, it was that's how we, I, I kind of, was. my role was really to go into different countries, expand to different countries, look at different markets. Um, and with technology, we could pretty much, the world's your oyster, you can pick and choose which markets you wanted to enter into. When you said uh, 120 million or 150 million, you're talking about annual revenue in Australian dollars. Yeah. Okay. Wow, that's okay. pretty impressive. So what, what what happened? You said the numbers went down. What happened? Um, well, I'm a big believer in really good financial management, really good people and culture strategies. Um, and looking after your customers. I mean, I have two pillars. You look after your customers and you look after your people. And if you get those pillars correct, you will have a very, very good business model. <laughs> um, I find that a lot of business owners and businesses in general, you know, they, they put a lot of emphasis on the customer, but not a lot of em emphasis on the internal customer and their, their people. Maybe it's the technology or the systems or... They have manual processes and it's labor intensive. It's, you know, um, I like to automate things. I like to kind of challenge the status quo and the thinking. And, you know, um, and I'm that type of person, you know, where I'm quite inquisitive and I'll ask why, why do we do that? Like, what, what, what is your reason for doing that? Um, and I'm a pain in the ass, um, but you know it's it's important to ask questions and it's important to to be inquisitive and look at all the various perspectives in business because that's how you get a solid understanding of of what works and what makes the cogs of the wheel work. If you understand the customers, if you understand your people, if you understand the business processes, if you understand the technology stack that you're using, um, it all and even for example external market. You know, when you're entering into a, a place like Thailand, you know, like what are the challenges, you know, and, and going with your eyes wide open, not saying it's going to be perfect, but certainly going in with your eyes, eyes wide open, you have a true understanding of the landscape that you're about to enter into. And then you can make good, better, more informed decisions. And, and that comes down to data and having all of the perspectives before you. All right, so this is a podcast that is listened to by various types of entrepreneurs that are like people just owning their backpack and 
planning to move to South Asia as a digital nomad. And we have like large companies planning to open their like 67th branch in Thailand. So we, we try to offer something for everyone. But uh, yeah, let's, you already get, got started with the like the processes and automation and everything. So your travel tech company, a very impressive travel tech company. So I, I'm assuming you had to have pretty good processes in place. Like what, give us some like uh, specifics, like so, something that uh, you, you think that it worked really well and then like, and did it, did it have anything specific about Thailand that perhaps is different from, from what you experienced in Australia? Uh, well, the company was based in Australia, first and foremost. Um, it was a startup in Australia. I, I mean, I've got 20 plus years experience um, in HR, people, culture, global operations, um, strategy, that kind of stuff. So in terms of processes um, and as a startup, if, you know, there are many iterations or mistakes um, and we were continuously looking at those mistakes and, and, and being agile and um, being first to market and just not pretending that it was perfect, you know, and I think a lot of um, business owners and, and myself included in that, um, particularly as a woman, <laughs> we, we have this um, notion of perfection or it being perfect and nothing in life is perfect and no product is perfect. Uh, no company or employee is perfect. No customer is perfect. So I think if you kind of accept that and you don't get stuck in this state of perfectionism like I used to, um, that's certainly how you can grow and scale quite rapidly. You know, it's iteration. Okay, so let, let me jump in. So it sounds like your like desire for perfection did cause some problems. So maybe you can like give us some some, some examples of, of of like of how being being too perfect can be can be a bad thing. Okay. Um. Look. Uh, so for example, in the travel company, uh, you know, I was looking after the global operations. I was heading and in charge of um, global expansion efforts. One of my big projects was um, implementing um, customer experience team or the global operations in each of these markets. So Thailand, um, Athens, we had a, uh, a UK, a, a London branch, and then we had somewhere in America. So we kind of went, we, we went through that process and we started off with Bangkok and, and Thailand and then we went to Athens and and what we tried to do was a 24-7 call center um, and in terms of perfection I think for me in the beginning I was expecting everything to have our processes mapped out um, you know SOPs you know making sure that we you know all of the tick boxes had had been checked um, you know, certainly from a technology perspective, implementing a system, I think we used at the time for our call centre, uh, Zendesk, you know, whereas I wanted it to be in our back office platform, the same place where our booking platform was created, our own IP. Um, and to do that, we'd have to wait years, you know. So it was, I guess you kind of have to balance out what can you get off the shelf? What can you build yourself? until we get to that level or stage where we could afford, like any startup, you have to really be conscious of how much money you're spending in terms of off-the-shelf products to what you're building because developers aren't cheap. 
you know, building a team out isn't cheap. Um, so it, that's what I mean. I, there, there was a lot of learnings there. I mean, when you're going to a market like Athens versus, you know, in Greece versus Bangkok in Thailand, what you did in Thailand that was really, really good may not have worked in Athens in Greece. And I think my concept of, you know, if we just had this standard operating procedure and a standard, you know, um, research, uh, you know, and, and market analysis, we'll be okay. It doesn't really work that way when you're implementing things on the ground and 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 going into the detail and, and training of employees. Like the ties are very different to the Greeks in terms of how they work, you know, um, how they manage you know, um, labor law, for example, you know, it's, it's very difficult. Uh, so there was just a little so, so first. Yeah. Sorry to cut you off. Uh, so the first office in Thailand was for the customer support. You said 24 hour customer support. Correct. Why, why Thailand? Like usually when companies open a customer support center in South Asia, they go to Philippines. So why, why did you choose Thailand? Um, actually, we, we, we also headed up our technology. Um, we, we were moving from Australian developers into the technology team in Thailand. So we both we did um, both customer support and technology at the same time. Uh, back in those days, God, it's been a while now, eight years ago. I'm showing my age here. Um, Thailand was very well known um, for sort of a startup hub at the time and it was really rapidly growing. And so we, we looked into Vietnam, Philippines um, and Thailand and our CTO at the time, who happens to now also be my husband, he was, we argued about this quite a bit because I want to go to the Philippines because you know my parents are from the Philippines. I knew it might've been more easier to go to the Philippines, but he was just like, trust me, they're really good developers here. Um, one of, uh, you know, our, our travel company like What If and Agoda were already there. Um, we had visited their, their offices as because uh, they were our suppliers. So it just made sense that it became this technology hub for us. Um, and, yeah, just, I mean, it was actually the best decision that we made in terms of an executive team. How big was the office in Thailand? About 60, 70 staff. And how many of them were developers and how many were customer support? Oh, probably 60% were developers, um, 20, 30% was customer support and the rest 10% was administration management. And uh, most of them I didn't add up to 10%. Wait, <laughs> I don't want to cut it up. <laughs> That's right. We need to check those numbers. Yeah. <laughs> so, so most people were... Uh, from Thailand or, or did you bring in international talent as well? Majority, um, probably 99% were from, I think there was only two foreigners there at the time. Yeah. Okay. Did that so include I... you and your husband? No, we, we didn't base ourselves yeah. there. We found uh, a really good uh, operations manager who reported directly into me and he was Australian. He was living there. And then I think our next Farang or foreigner was British and he was a developer and he helped really helped us train up the ties and upskill the ties. Okay, so that's that's one of the lessons there for the other companies is like if you can find uh, somebody who already lives in the market, like you kind of like reduce the risk, right? Like oh, if, 100%. If, if, if there's like an Australian guy who already has lived in, in Bangkok before, then like at least they know the culture, like they can adapt to the like environment. You already know that they will not 
go home because like the weather is too hot or whatever. Right? Oh, look, I think you hit the nail on the head there. We, we found people that we absolutely trusted um, and they came to our Australian head office for three months, really learning, understanding and ingraining, inculcating a lot of our value system and what we wanted and our vision. And they were then tasked with implementing it in, in, in the markets. We would then also come back to Thailand every two to three months and spend, you know, a few weeks a month on, on in, just really spending time with the teams. Uh, and that is critical to the success of, of any business is just making sure if you do have head office outside, that there is presence, um, there's, you know, from the head office, because without that, I, I don't think they would have been able to open up to us or trusted us as outsiders. So having someone in-house um, makes a world of difference. And in those three months that uh, there's like, country manager or however you call this person like was back in Australia in the HQ like what did they do like did they have like constant trainings or they were doing already their job in Thailand from Australia or like how, how did the three months look like um it was very much um spending time with um other managers um the executive team it was probably less so um in, in terms of we would just go through budgets and, and, and visionary stuff and, and execute some of our business plans and share our business plans. Um, it was my job and task to make sure that the operations were running globally. So I would have daily stand-ups anyway with my teams globally and, um, you know, ensure that a lot of the, the, the strategies and plans that we put in place were, were being worked on. Um, but, yeah, their time in Australia was very much just been with the company and um, other managers and other, you know, support staff so that if I wasn't around or if someone else, they had a team of people that they knew that they could rely on and trust. And it was just building, I guess, that culture. Yeah, that's that sounds like something I, I need to implement in my company. It's like it's, it's always really hard when you're going to new markets and you hire somebody who is otherwise a brilliant person, but they don't have that organizational context, you know, like they, they don't know any like of the key people personally. And while you can do some, some, some of those things online, like with, through like video calls and everything, it, it doesn't replace like that human connection. Right? Yeah. I think Actually, the face like, to face yeah. is probably the, the thing that um, drives trust, credibility, connection and collaboration, you know, um, where, like you say, when you're you're on Zoom and stuff, it, it works. But I mean, you can go for a drink afterwards, and then they kind of let their hair down and they tell you everything else, you know, in person that they wouldn't be able to say face to face. Um, people and culture for me is, is number one. It's incredibly important. And um, if if you can't afford for people to come to Australia all the time, then we would always go to to Asia and all the other. It's just really important that the leadership team are, are, are present. You know, I, I can kind of relate to that because uh, when I joined, you know, Emirab a while ago, the a couple of months, you know, after spending a couple of months working remotely, I, uh, Laurie, you called me to Indonesia and that was pretty much when, you know, I realized what the company was doing. It wasn't just about, you know, gelling with the people. It was an understanding of what's happening on a day to day. So, uh, you know, it, and since I had never been to Indonesia, I never really understood the culture of work that the people in our company were, you know, following. So it was definitely eye-opening. Uh, and after that, it was just so much easier communicating with people. Even if we were doing it over email, we didn't need calls as such because we understood each other's tone and the way that they talked and the way that they thought. So, 
yeah, definitely. I think a physical, uh, you know, session every now and then is pretty good. It's the nuances. Yeah, I can tell, it's the day-to-day can... -day stuff, right? Yeah. It's the nuances of how you see yeah, exactly. them working and all of the, excuse the French, the shit fight that they have to go through. And you don't understand that because yes. you're so yeah. far removed from it. But when you're in the business, you get to see it firsthand and you go, oh, my God, that's why you don't pick up my phone at the drop of a hat. <laughs> You know, yeah. and it, it's like I, that you I get some exactly emails. Exactly when from. I decided that okay, we 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 have to bring Soheb to to South Asia because like his team was all based in in Pakistan, and then like one one day I I I received an article draft that they wanted to publish, and it was like relocating to Manila as a digital nomad, and I was like, the article was all about how it's like a tropical paradise and like everything like this. Nobody. Nobody who has been to Manila would think like that's like the number one place to backpack or like live there as a digital nomad. Like, no, there are like plenty of great beaches and everything in, in, in the Philippines, but you don't go to Manila for that, right? So like, okay, like those people yeah. need to feel what Southeast Asia is about and like where are the places where you go for a vacation and where are the places where you purely go for a job? Like, and, and Manila is definitely not like a vacation spot. So, so that, that's when I was like, okay, we have to bring... Yeah, I think a, a, a breaking point was when, uh, you know, we were creating social media content and uh, our designer was making like, entre showing entrepreneurs in Bali wearing suits and stuff. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. you know, after I came back to Indonesia, he showed it to me and I was like, dude, no one in Bali looks like that. So let's just <laughs> not do that. Yeah, so Joanna, you are now director and founder of your own company. Are you still doing it together with your husband? Yes, actually. Um, so since moving to, or prior to moving to, to Thailand, we had created our own startup after the travel company. Um, and we were wanting to create our own sort of tech stack um, and platform. Uh, but then we got an opportunity here in Thailand to, uh, to move. And since then, I've just sort of been doing a lot of consulting, um, doing um, helping, you know, startups and SMEs to grow and scale because I know how they've done it, I know what to do. Um, so I, I guess it just evolved into that. Um, we now have created a platform, an all-in-one platform solution that helps um, startups and SMEs to grow and scale. And um, we're about to launch it actually next year. So yeah, so we, we're doing that and um, we're just about to, we, we went through that BOI process. So it was very, very difficult here in Thailand to go through a lot of that business registration and capital and financing and trying to work out how many Thai staff we need all of this kind of stuff um so we're going through that process at the moment and um but yeah yes we are doing business here now yeah so you mentioned you are going through the boi process uh, for for listeners that don't know what boi is it's basically like a like a investment. investment permit that yeah you can you can own like 100 of the company because you are like bringing new technology or like something very important to Thailand. Right? That's right. So, so, so it, BOI stands for Board of Investment and um, it's an incentive scheme for investors like us who want to invest into to the country and the kingdom. Um, essentially, if, if you go through the other route, which is just registering a business um, in Thailand, um, foreigners can't own 100%. They, they have, you know, majority has to be owned by a Thai we don't know any ties that we can do, like, you know, essentially trust with our business. So it's sort of like, you know, you, they have to own, I think, 51% and you own 49%. But the BOI Board of Investment Scheme um, is 100% foreign ownership. And also, um, I'm not sure if you're aware, but every time you hire uh, 
a staff member who's a foreigner in the other in the first option you have to put two million Thai baht capital for every foreigner you hire it gets a bit costly when you want to grow and scale your business so but under the boi scheme you can hire as many foreigners as you want as long as you can justify it um and as long as you can say to the to 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 the to, the, to boi that okay we're also hiring at just as many if not a lot more um ties and we're upskilling them but we also we need people to train them up and things like that so it's just a balancing act but for us um really good tax incentives really uh for for foreigners um you know we used to get tax like 56% in australia <laughs> so um yeah. having 15% tax i'll pay my taxes to cease and i'm good <laughs> yeah yeah it's an incentive to actually pay taxes because it's a reasonable That's reasonable right. amount So how how difficult is it to get a BOI license like for for your industry because I'm I'm guessing uh, when you first go there and you say like we have like a consulting business they would be like oh that's that's not really technology so you have, have to, had to convince them right that like the platform you're building is actually innovative and like you're bringing something new to the Thailand. Uh yeah look it's 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 it certainly hasn't been easy and it's um certainly incredibly challenging it's not easy by any means um but it it really it's it's really to advance the the the, the kingdom and you know the the middle class and, and and making sure that they're getting trained um and upskilled um and there's a number of different industry groups that they want to focus on and one of them is technology digital innovation obviously um tourism you know sustainable tourism because a huge part of Thailand is you know tourism um and then i think there's something health and wellness or sustainability something like that um there are many different kind of industry groups that they're focusing on uh for a technology company that's wanting to create a platform it's pretty easy in that sense because all you have to do is really present that business plan what the technology stack is um how you're going to build it you know how many developers you might get so everything around that is is quite easy for us to justify um but i'm not a boi expert you know i think the best advice i can give is hire yourself a good accountant and a lawyer or even emma hub i i'll leave all of because i know that you guys do business registration in asia i mean i always leave it to the experts i you know i do a lot of research myself but when you're in country it's really really important that you know uh someone that knows what they're talking about and you trust the experts and you work with someone that you know and trust yeah thank thanks for the plug yeah <laughs> in, indeed we we <laughs> we did expand to thailand uh, like a few months ago so yeah and 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 the first thing we did was we we hired somebody very experienced in thailand who is a thai thai person but like has spend most of their career working with like foreign companies so it's like you, you you don't really realize all those like small smaller details or the fine prints in the law if you just like theoretically read like what's on like the government websites and everything like you you need that like on the ground experience and it it takes a while to to acquire that but asia is a different beast as well it's also who you know you know um not really what you know it's who you know i mean so i work with the australian thai chamber of commerce i'm one of their board members and directors and you know and i do a lot of networking and you come across you know 
certain people, right? And you go, oh, you know, you've done this BOI before and you went through this person and, you know, it, there's just nuances that you, you can master and learn only because you know and spoke have spoken to someone who've, you know, done that or who knows someone who knows someone. <laughs> it's kind of, that is what Asia is all about. So I, I definitely think it's, you know, trying to, to build that network of support and uh, of experts is really, really crucial. What Thailand also is about, or I think everywhere in South Asia is like everybody claims to know everyone as well. So, like I, I've seen so many foreigners that like just go go for a week and then like they meet a few guys who claim that they know like the king or the president or who, whichever country they are at, and and often those people are not actually who they claim to be, or like like those connections are not as strong as they claim them to be. So, how, how do you like kind of like differentiate like when when you're networking with people like who are like the what's the polite term like um, full of bullshitting you <laughs> yeah yeah and who are like yeah. legit um look i think with anything in life it's you know it's about trust you know and if you i mean you you know when you have a gut feeling that this doesn't seem right or this person doesn't seem you know legit or it's a little bit dodgy or something like that I mean I have my own value system and my value system is trust and transparency you know it's you know doing things equitably I believe in karma and I do not do bad business because I don't want bad karma to come back to me right so I always am very very open and honest when I'm doing business dealings in terms of your question about networking I think really it's a hit and miss in Thailand. I mean, foreigners always get, oh, I wouldn't say, you know, wool, what's that saying, the, the wool put over our eyes. There is always going to be that. You know, I don't think it's just Thailand. I think it's not just Asia. It's everywhere you go. I mean, there's always, go, I mean, there's scams right now, like those Nigerian scams and those, you know, hey, I'm selling a domain, you know, <laughs> there's scams everywhere. Yeah. And I think um, you're just going to be smart you've got to do some research uh and this is like what investing is we, we do a lot of investments and you've got to do your research and sometimes it's a risk you might not know everything 100 percent, and you take that risk and you're willing to lose some money because you've taken that risk or you go and say okay not doing it because it doesn't feel right you know um but that's calculated decision making you know it's very strategic and that's what i say to anyone investing in thailand or asia or anywhere it's just really go in with your eyes wide open ask the right questions um when you're meeting someone new in networking don't just go off the first conversation meet them once twice three four five times meet some of their networks meet some of their connections because i've heard awful stories where have gone and given someone a whole heap of money and never seen that person again so go meet their mom go meet their dad go meet you know their best friend whatever it is that makes you feel like you can trust this person um and you know everything about them do that but don't go in blind is my advice yeah i think common sense is like very underrated somehow among yeah. foreigners who are otherwise very reasonable people but somehow they get like blinded by all the opportunities or, or people they meet in South Asia. So I think they like, get taken advantage I, of I think the rule rule of thumb for me is like if something sounds like too good to be true, it probably is. So like just like be a little bit careful especially in the beginning when you're new and you're you're you are going to make those rookie mistakes, but like try try not to spend all your money doing that. 
Yeah, I, I think it. Uh, you know, you, you can't put all your eggs in one basket. It's probably the the best advice. Yeah. So I I was wondering a bit about the uh, you know the workforce of Thailand because uh, you mentioned in your previous startup you know you had ninety nine percent of your people were from Thailand and of course when you chose those people you must have compared them to skill sets and costs between Australia and Thailand but then you also mentioned that you had you know a foreigner who you had to bring in to upskill the team so does that mean that you know uh, Thailand is great for a junior or mid junior level resource and not for a senior level resource if someone's coming to Thailand should they bring like managers from outside and have locals do the lower uh, managerial stuff? That's a good assessment. Um, there are some great um, senior leaders and um, business leaders and managers here in Thailand, but they're few and far between. And generally speaking, they go overseas. You know, they get bigger money in America. Makes sense, yeah. Um, so, you know, you're right in, that, in, in saying that's sort of my assessment as well. Um, yeah, so I, I would agree that, you know, junior, mid, you can train up. They're so trainable. They're so coachable. Senior people, um, they yeah, it's, it's it's very difficult to get them. Every single company wants them. You know, it's uh, it's hard. Um, so, but I'm not saying that, that they that they're, they aren't out there because they are. You know, we had some really so good I'll, developers I'll, who yeah. were managers, you know, and were like mid developers and then we turned them into a manager because it was so good. So I think it's just about making sure that you're, you're looking for someone that's fit for purpose for your business and organization and fit for purpose is different for everybody. Yeah. So I, I kind of put a positive spin to it. So even if, uh, you know, you have a lot of mid-level or junior level resources, that's probably a good thing as well. Uh, but then, uh, you know, what's, what, what's driving these people? Because if I compare this to Pakistan, so here, we, you know, we have a lot of developers in Pakistan and there, that's because as a general, you know, the, the general country, the general populace is very tech savvy. We have good universities. We have a very, uh, you know, hardworking kind of attitude towards work and with loyalty. So th there are a couple of traits that Pakistani people have that make them really good junior to mid-level developers. What are some of the traits that you found in the Thai workforce that made them better you know, than any, you know, or some other countries? Um, from personal experience, I mean, I'll, I'll talk just specifically for like, like you're talking about development teams, you know, we had experience with um, some developers in Vietnam, some, ex uh, a lot of our developers in Thailand, and we had some in the Philippines. Um, the Filipinos, great communication, outstanding communication. Yeah but somewhat not as hungry as the Vietnamese. The Vietnamese developers, poor communicators, but incredibly hungry. And Thais, uh, from experience, sat in the middle, you know, depending on, like may, maybe they, they weren't great communicators, but they're really good developers and coders. Um, or like, you know, they were just really, really hungry to learn or whatever it might be. And but they just communication. So um, but then you had some really good ties who can communicate really, really well. But, you know, it might be a little bit like, oh, you know, I know everything, you know, and weren't so coachable and trainable, you know, because their parents were very well off, for example. You know, so those kind of kids, they, they come from, you know, rich families and they don't want to work hard because they know that they've got a safety net or a cushion to fall onto. So again, it really just 
is determined on your culture um, that you set and your vision um, and what you're looking for in terms of uh, skill sets and and traits of people. For 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 me, we were looking for people who are hungry, um, love the entrepreneurial dynamic of the business. It was fast pace. Not everyone can keep up with a fast paced environment. Um, you have to have thick skin. You have to be able to work quite rapidly um, because we were creating and developing technology quite fast. And then um, on top of that, we were also servicing clients. So you 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 almost had to have that entrepreneurial spirit. And, and that comes down to, to, to your recruitment and having an entrepreneurial spirit. Nobody has an entrepreneurial spirit, meaning do they question things? Do they challenge the status quo? Do they do they go, um, well, I think I can find a better way. Do they make mistakes and learn from it? You know, and um, that for me is, is is crucial. So I don't interview someone and, and look at their CV and go, okay, they've got this experience, they've got this. I look at um, behavioral traits. I ask behavioral questions. Um, and you know, I you know, we go out for coffee. We we you know, I, I do walks. I do meeting walks, and I walk with them, and they're really relaxed. So they tell you everything. You know, uh, and those are the kind of behaviors that I'm looking for. I'm looking for someone who you know will, you know, put their cup away when they, they, you know, go into an interview or they will ask you first, oh, you know, you eat and you can see how polite they are. Um, yeah, I, I look at all those kind of traits, you know, uh, because everything else I think is trainable and teachable. Yeah, you mentioned something interesting before, like about, uh, like, employees coming from, like, very wealthy families. And I think that's pretty universal across emerging markets, not even only exclusively in Asia. It's like, like... It, it might sound like a good idea to hire somebody from, from wealthy families because like they're well connected and they went to good universities. But based on my experience, like if I hire somebody who earns like, I don't know, $600 a month and then they show up to office wearing Gucci shoes, like they don't really need this job. Like they don't have that hunger and, and most likely they're not going to like push really hard to go out, like to like get a career in your company or like to get to the like next level. Yeah. Like, they don't really need this job. Like I, I like to hire people who really need to get their next paycheck. Like, you know, like who have mortgage, who have to put their kids to private school. Like, like that, like the people who complain that like, why was my salary like four hours late this month? Like these are like the people you want because mm -hmm. like, these are the people who really need this job and they, they will have like that extra motivation. Like as, as, as a coach, maybe <laughs> that sounds a bit cruel to you or, or, or what's, what's your perspective? Yeah, I mean, again, it's it, everybody's different. Everybody has a story. Um, we have this thing in Inspiring Women in Travel Asia where, where every every journey has a story, you know. So I like to get to know people better. And, and maybe that rich kid wants to go out and, and branch themselves out on their own because I've had that before, you know. And, and when I understand their story and I understand their motivations and what inspires them, I think business leaders you know, we've got a job, you should be grateful, you know, and, and particularly now with, with, with the new generation, are they called Gen Z? I'm not sure what they're called anymore. Um, but, you know, I hear, zoomers a, now. Yeah, I hear a lot from the boomers or the Generation X, you know, they go, oh, you know, they, they don't work hard enough. And, you know, I'm from that same, you know, generation where we had to work our way up and, you know, I would run around getting coffees and, you know, do anything and everything right nowadays they're like oh no you need to pay me you know 100,000 salary and you know I'm I need to be this title and, and I guess it's the entitlement of this generation right 
But when you sit down with them, and I often, you know, I do a lot of mentoring and I've created a um, another um, community hub called Next Gen, Next Gen. It's called Next Generation for young professionals, young entrepreneurs, and those young at heart in Thailand through OzChamp. And when you speak to the next generation, and when you truly hear and listen and understand what they want, they want the same things as us, you know? The way they go about it is very, very different. So leaders nowadays need to understand that it's not just about, I'm giving you a job, you should be grateful. It should be, okay, what's your skill set? What what inspires you? What are you motivated by? Why do you want this job? Like, you know, what, what you know, and if they're bored or, you know, and having those regular check-ins and catch-ups, I think is really, really important because we as business leaders and particularly business owners, we think we know everything and we don't. You know, I find that I learn a lot more from the younger generation, um, like my kids, for example, and how to use TikTok and all that kind of thing. I mean, they're so savvy, you know, um, and I think it goes both ways. They they need to listen to the older generation and we need to listen to the younger generation and really find that middle ground as to how do we work well together? How do we communicate? Because they communicate really differently. They're very short and sharp and entitled and want everything now, whereas we want all of the data and the facts before us before making a decision. So how do we meet in the middle? You know, and I think communication goes a long way, sitting down, talking, understanding one another. And, and yeah, that's my perspective. So I guess as those are, uh, yeah, yeah, go ahead. As an Australian, how, how, how do you have to like, or do you have to like adapt to the way you communicate with the Thais? Like, because like my, my experience with Australians is like, they're like fun, easygoing, but also, also very loud, which can be like, kind of like a scary for, for, south asians sometimes like how, how did you adapt your your like kind of like way of communicating with the team well look i'm incredibly loud um particularly when i'm in a networking event and, and i mean i've got a kind of two sides to me I'm, i'm actually an introvert by nature i love coming home and recharging and re-energizing by myself at home but when i'm out there I, I, I do like to talk to people. I'm very curious about people. I'm very curious about, I'm very empathetic. Um, so for me, I, I mean, I've become more Asian if, if I'm being very, very honest. Um, and my husband says I'm sounding a lot more Asian than Aussie. Um, and I guess it's just been a lot of fun getting to to talk to the Thais, getting to understand them. I, I remember I mean, I, I am one of the directors for a digital marketing company here called Move Ahead Media. And subsequently, you know, for a period of time, for two years, I think I was their COO. And so because I'm helping them to grow and scale their business. And, you know, I found it incredibly difficult because when I first got here, I expanded the business. These the, I, I handpicked those staff, right? But then coming into a new organization, a new business, and I did not handpick this staff, it was a bit of an eye-opener. It was, um, you know, it was really getting to know the staff and getting them to trust me. So the the best way I can explain it is, again, going back to what I said earlier, is just sitting down with them, having a meal. Asians love karaoke and food, <laughs> you know? Yeah. Um, yeah. And I think if you can kind of, you know, play on those two things, like you, you're eating and then they're just very relaxed, they, they open up to you and just listen. Um, and then the other thing is, it's just they like really good leaders. And whether you're loud or boisterous or quiet, um, 
they like people because I'm quite direct. So a lot of the times in the beginning, the ties will be like, oh, my God, she's, you know, she's telling us off or, or whatever. And I, I would say to them, no. And um, in, in Asia in particular, not just Thailand, they have this thing where they want to save face. They don't want to tell you no or they don't want to tell you, Joanna, you're wrong or you've made a mistake. So the first thing that I do is, guys, nobody's in trouble. Um, you know, what I want is really an open forum for you to give me feedback because I need to learn, you know, what, what makes you tick or what we did right or what we did wrong. And sometimes they won't say it openly in a meeting with all of their friends. So um, follow up with a, hey, did you, did, did you get what I mean? You know, you feel free to, you know, come out for a coffee or let's, you know, send me an email because I might want to do it on a one-on-one basis. You know, so really understanding, again, those nuances of the different types of cultures that you're walking into. And um, that Asian culture is they want to save face. They don't want to embarrass you. They don't want to tell you you're wrong. And, and you know, and I think that comes from our parents, you know, in our generation where we just had to sit quietly and listen and not tell them, you know. So, it, it, yeah, I think you just have to go around that by having those one-on-one -on -one sessions, by, you know, showing them and teaching them that, you know, nobody's in trouble, mistakes um, an opportunity to learn and grow. Um, you know, this is an opportunity for us to communicate and collaborate and again, share um, the Western world with the Asian world and, and, and it goes both ways. Yeah. That's, that's been one of my uh, lessons in, in South Asia as well. And I'm, I'm still making this, this mistake of like assuming that like most people are motivated by like getting like responsibility and autonomy in their work because that's what I would want when I, if I joined the company, but like what, what I've found like time and time and again is like actually most fresh graduates, when you hire them, like what you said, like they like strong leadership. Like they, they want to have a manager that is like teaching them everything they want to be told what hand to do. every day. Exactly. Yeah. Mm -hmm. and, and for me, that would be like incredibly like, uh, like, uh, demotivating like i i would want to be like trusted and like figure empowered. out things on my own but yeah yeah empowered but uh, that's that's not what majority of people want here so i think like if you if you want to build like a bigger uh, team where people stay for a bit longer and 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 make a career you have to have that like middle management team leaders levels like very well set up oh 100 in it's like they you have to set up these hierarchy almost like i love yeah. open um, places and communication and collaboration. But I guess here in Thailand, they do want someone in between, you know, because they're like, oh, I'm not going to tell the big boss, you know, or the, you know, the director, you know. So you've got to put in place a place where they can go to and feel comfortable, you know, and that's just the way that they're wired, really. Yeah. And uh, like, I, I, I've been doing Emirhub for like 13 years now, I believe. So like, I, it's it's very difficult for me to get to know like the the entry levels or even the middle management like they they are frankly afraid to talk to me I don't, I don't know if it's my personality or <laughs> like it's 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 very difficult to have like a like a like an open honest conversation with people they they will just tell you what you what they think they want you want to hear but like if if you actually want to know what's going on you have to kind of like go through those layers and like but don't like, also respect the hierarchy. Um... English is their second language, so they may not feel comfortable speaking to you in English and they don't know how to translate that, you know. And I, I found that over the years with the Thais, majority of the time they stayed quiet um, was because they were too embarrassed to 
articulate or communicate what they really felt because they didn't want to get it wrong. So having like someone like a Thai or, you know, there to communicate and translate something that they want to say is really, really vitally important. That's kind of why you need someone in Thailand, in, in country to really translate some of those things because it's really important that they feel comfortable communicating in their own language because it can get lost in translation. You know, I think it's more more of a, you know, there are two factors, I guess, to this because, <clears throat> you know, being in this region, I kind of understand why an entry-level person would have trouble communicating with like the CEO or a director. I think there's two factors. One being that, you know, the respect element that Joanna, you spoke about as well. It's something that's so deeply ingrained in us mm-hmm. from from early childhood that, you know, you do not speak to your elders or someone who, you know, you report to. You just do not, you know, say anything that disagrees with Hold them. Back. So it's the, there's that cultural element, of course. Mm-hmm. And then uh, you, you very rightfully mentioned people can communicate, but they're so embarrassed by, you know, their their language skills. And I found that, you know, like seven times out of 10, someone might have really great communication skills, but they're just afraid of, of you know, communicating in English because it is, there's such a, you know, there, there's such a note attached to, you know, speaking English correctly in these, in this region that, oh, that guy can't even communicate two words in English. And that's so embarrassing. And it's, it's been like a, it's, it's just how, you know, people are demotivated. So I guess, you know, first on one step, they're just, they just don't want to, uh, you know, uh, give an opinion that's different from their seniors because of, you know, culture. And then even when they want to, they're like, all right, if I mess up like one pronunciation or one, I make a grammatical mistake, that's going to be super embarrassing. And they're going to laugh at me. That's just the way things are here. We laugh at each other. Yeah. Yeah. And and this shouldn't be confused with like, if people don't say anything bad to you that like, they don't have those feelings. Like they they will just not tell it to your face. They will tell it to this like employee WhatsApp group where the boss is not included. Right. (laughs) So, yeah. And that blows up six months later, right. When that employee leaves out of the blue and you're left wondering, you know, what just happened? This guy, you know, I thought he was doing a great job, but he just never communicated with me. But that was just building up inside them. Yeah. And that's why I I mean, I have a um, employee engagement tool, um, what we use and, you know, technology is such an enabler, you know, where, you're constantly um, what we call pulse surveys, keeping your finger on the pulse, you know, and and understanding. And it's literally, you know, three questions, you know, how are you feeling today? And it's like a smiley face, a sad face, a angry face. And it's just every day it's a gamification. You know, they're going in there and they're telling you how they feel. And then is there anything that happened yesterday that you wanted to tell, you know, that you couldn't tell your manager? And getting all that data and information is really critical, um, particularly for foreigners, where you don't have finger on the pulse because you're right, they're going to go into the WhatsApp chat and start talking behind our backs, you know. But if you have this employee engagement tool, it enables you to really look at the data, critical data, and, and look at the reds and go, wow, that department, there's something wrong here. What's the manager doing or not doing? You know, and that for me is vital in any organization, you know, having those constant... Um, what I call pulse, um, you know, checks and, you know, um, system checks, you know, people checks is really, really important. And, and they won't tell you to their face, but they, let me tell you, they'll do it through a game. How, how do you do it? It's, it's also maybe a good time to, you, you can tell us more about your platform. Like we, we just do like simple 
employee engagement surveys, which are like like a simple Google form we send every quarter to the employees. And what what, what I see there is like you eighty percent of the responses are going to be like really positive, except for like the salary question. Everybody thinks that their salary should be higher, but <laughs> but but. Uh, other than that, like the only people who really give you any negative feedback are like the people who are already like leaving, you know, like who probably submitted their resignation or will submit it the moment they will get accepted to a new job. So like, h how do you get this like honest feedback? Is it like anonymous service or like how do you get people to speak up? It is anonymous. Um, you can kind of figure out by which department they might be, but um, and and if they've some said something specific, you know, obviously something happened yesterday, you know that the only person that happened to was this person, right? But it is anonymous. Um, in terms of the employee engagement tool, um, there is a company here in Thailand uh, I partner with. Um, he's amazing, and I'm actually going. I'm, I'm we're actually wanting to get his his platform or his app, his employee engagement app, into our platform because we wanted to do all it um end to end platform. But um, we've I've used it on a number of companies now, and it's great. And what they do is essentially psychology-based questions. So they might ask you one question one day and a similar question the next day, and it formulates um, behavioral-based questioning, that kind of stuff. It's not always the same. It might be a different version of the same question. So it kind of catches out people where you see if they're telling the truth or not, right? And, you, and, and what it does is it does it in the morning um, and then afternoon. It also pings you and say, hey, how are you feeling? Having a good morning? And you can see between the time if something happened, you know. Um, for me, I use it as a leadership tool, you know, particularly with my leaders and my foreign leaders. And, and I say, okay, well, why is um, this department going down? And you can see, you know, the, the trend lines. Um, I, I find that incredibly, you know, informative. You know, I you, you can see when... It's busy season. Everybody's the trend lines generally go down, and everybody's stressed and yeah. working to the bone, and it's quite hilarious because it actually matches sometimes the revenue, right? But employee engagement is about having your finger on the pulse and understanding that that team or that department or that leader is good or um, or on shaky grounds, and you can do something about it because you can see that they're stressed and overworked, and it makes you it, it helps you. In, you know, inform your decision making, right? And goes, okay, well, I definitely need to get more people because 90% of that team have said they're unhappy because they're stressed, for example, right? So it's more objective data gathering and finding rather than asking specific questions on a, on a pulse survey almost. It's, it's a gamification. It's constantly asking you quite different kinds of questions, you know, and you know, they're doing the different smiley faces and then there's specific other questions and who in your team, you know, would you recognize and why, you know, um, you know, did you do something today that you're proud of that nobody else knows, you know, and those kind of questionings, they have to start thinking about it and go, oh, yeah, I did this and I didn't get recognition for it, you know, yeah. and that that forms and it helps me to manage my leaders and performance manage them helps me to lead them and likewise it helps them to lead me better you know and saying hey look 90 percent of my employees are unhappy because they're all stressed you need to approve my extra two three people that i want and that is an objective you know and it, it is something that isn't subjective that they're all pretending to be stressed i can see from the data that they're all stressed um and, and is the app telling you that like 
uh, you should look into like this area because it seems like lot, lots of people are struggling with like workload or I don't know. Do, yeah. do you, as a manager, do you get insight? Like one of your like uh, team leaders is like a jerk, and you should yeah. probably like them. There's insights in there that says you know this person has got a, a X percent chance of leaving. They're at risk and they're in red um, because of this, this, and that. You know, and because it gathers it, you know, and you can look back and get see the daily trends, you can see the weekly trends, you can see the monthly, quarterly trends, and I use this to formulate my business plans every quarter. I don't have an, I have an annual one, but I do it in bite-sized pieces uh, for all my businesses um, because it's important for me to be agile and and, and know that there are always going to be things that a, a spanner in the works gets thrown my way. You know. Um, and for me, I, I love it. I love anything to do with data because it's objective decision-making. You know, um, my value system is trust and transparency. If you can get in, you know, into a situation where your leadership team, you're constantly looking at data and it's not personal, that for me is, is the, the ticket to growing and scaling a business. And have you quantified kind of like what's the value of, of doing this? Like, let's say like, I, I use this application and my employee retention rate uh, improves by, I don't know, 15%. Like how much money does it save for my company? Well, how much does it cost to lose a really, really good employee to, to do recruitment, to train, and then you've got the manager's training and then you've got the on-the-job the training and then you've got, you know, payouts and all of this kind of stuff. The cost of losing a really good employee or any employee for that matter is more expensive than retaining one. You know, because if you go out into the market, it's probably going to cost you twice as much. You know, um, it's statistically proven that, you know, it's more retaining employees is far more cost effective than it is to lose one because there's a lot more associated costs with job boards and hiring and the amount that, you know, it takes you four weeks, four weeks times by a recruiter's salary to recruit that person plus the training of another four weeks. I mean, you've already lost out on three months of valuable yeah, time. And it, yeah, it, it takes time for people to get uh, good at their job as well, right? So maybe right. it's like three, <laughs> months. four, six, six months. months. <laughs> yeah. You've lost six yeah. months. There you go. Exactly. Yeah. So before, uh, you know, we move to a conclusion, I can see that, you know, the culture and human element of it, we've, you know, taken a pretty deep dive into it. But let's go back a bit to uh, your experience as an investor in Thailand, right? Because, uh, you know, we have a, a, a large segment of our audience who would wish to invest in Thailand either through their own businesses or by investing in other businesses. But uh, so what, so as an investor, what are some of the industries or some of the areas of work that you're seeing that could, you know, benefit that a foreign investor or an entrepreneur can invest in? And not necessarily the, the sustainable tourism stuff that the government is promoting anyway, but, uh, you know, from your experience, what are some of the sectors that are booming? Okay, for Wolf of Transparency's sake, um, the everyday investments um usually handled by my husband um so he does a lot of the stuff like on the market stock markets blockchain crypto all that kind of stuff he does um for our nest egg. for me i like investing in businesses um and growing and scaling startups and small to medium-sized companies the ones that i look for um i mean look thailand is known and has a reputation for import export industrial you know, sectors, for example, right? For me, where I see Thailand growing um, is in particular in the services industry, you know, technology, e-commerce, again, sustainable tourism, because that's where they, they, they you know, should be focusing on 
um, things like environmental, you know, um, sustainability initiatives. Um, the services sector doesn't get enough and this is one of the things that I'd like to advocate as part of, you know, a board member, um, you know, Australian Thai Chamber of Commerce. One of the things that I do want to advocate for is the SME space and the startup space where, you know, we're looking at services, we're, we're getting more funding, whether it's from Australia and Thailand on the services sector, because there's not enough of that. I don't believe, I don't see it. Um, and that is where my key investments are, are going, certainly in, in technology. I mean, you look what happened with COVID. There were so many innovative new companies coming up. I mean, there was a lot going down, you know, and a lot shutting their doors. Um, you know, the, you know, brick and mortar, you know, travel agencies were shutting down, for example. Um, but we saw a rise in online learning, you know, in online courses and e-commerce and all that kind of stuff. So I do think the services sector, whatever sector within the services industry, um, we, we love investing in technology. You know, we love investing in technology companies, in up and coming technologies, um, that kind of stuff. And, you know, I think foreign investors, you know, are, I think. So I'll make it a little more interesting. So I'll ask Laurie's favorite question. So imagine imagine that, you know, you haven't been to Thailand and uh, you're just fresh off the boat. You have two hundred thousand dollars and you want to start a business today in Thailand. What would you do? I'd invest in my company, an all-in-one platform solution. Um, <laughs> oh, you don't know about yourself yet. <laughs> um, again, technology, uh, digital transformation, Asia in in itself is behind five, ten years um, in some in some Western world. You know, um, there are so many things that we could do here that's ripe for the taking in terms of opportunities and investments here in Thailand, particularly Indonesia in digital. You know, I know the digital. I. I help grow and scale a, a digital uh, media company and digital advertising company. And one of those uh, was in, was in Indonesia, you know? Um, so I, I think Asia as a whole is still a little bit behind in technology. Um, you know, infrastructure, they have really well, you know, but I think in terms of technology stack, in terms of upskilling the people um, within technology, uh, I think that's probably the key. And, that's, and I'm biased because that's where I would certainly, and I am investing in. So for you, it'll be the service industry. Service right? industry, yeah, e-commerce. But would you be serving, uh, you know, local clients, or would you be serving international clients with, with talent from Thailand? Both. I mean, look, there, there's a huge market here in Thailand. Like, there are so many businesses here right. in Thailand, and I personally, I mean, our, our strategy is is to take the Thailand market um, because there are so many companies that I speak to on an everyday basis through the Australian Thai Chamber of Commerce who are in my network that need help with digital transformation. They, they don't have the expertise um, with technology. They don't have um, huge funds with technology, but they can see that they want to invest in it. They just don't know how. You know, so um, there's, I think that there's a lot of Thai companies here that would love, you know, a company to help them out here in terms of digital transformation, digital online marketing, um, technology stack, that kind of stuff to make their world easier, whether it's customer service, whether it's whatever it is in the services industry, I think they, they, they need help. I had a very short lived career as an angel investor after I, I sold one of my companies in 2015 an Australian company actually and after that I was like okay now I have some funds and I, I, I should become an angel investor and I, I, I started like talking to different startups and like what I realized back then was like 
everyone who had like a simple idea thought like their idea is worth like millions of dollars and and i really struggled with that like how like you haven't really done anything yet how is it so expensive and i i i made i think like one or two investments and then i decided like that's that's not for me i'm like better off like using that 200,000 to start like another company myself and find a co-founder or something but like i i i i really wasn't cut out for for being an investor so like how, how do you deal with it like how, how do you find like good deals in in asia um you got to manage your risk uh, i think i said this earlier it's just about managing risk for, for me personally um it's incredibly difficult uh you know we we have a number of different uh, methodologies to it as well you know uh where we can go in and we can help the business grow and scale and we we just take a cut right so it's you kind of low risk because it's really just your time or your time in building the technology for example we become their technology partner and 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 they're powered by simple scalable solutions as an example right um and that is kind of low for us it's like it's just our time you know and you know we we put in a little bit and that's about it and we can help them you know we we sit on the board and we advise them and we help them we build their technology and we go through that whole entire process um so you're kind of arm's length, but you're sort of in the business as well. Um, the other thing is, is that pure investment, you know, is like you just put money in cash. I, I've never really been that type of person. Um, I, I, I think t- time, um, expertise is, is more valuable than just pure hard cash, you know, because, and I don't mean to offend a whole heap of your listeners out there who are, <laughs> um, a lot of people just go here, have some cash and business owners go, okay, yeah, yeah, I'm going to do this. But they don't also know how to do it. You know, um, there's not really anyone teaching them, showing them the way. Like I've, you know, I failed many times and I'm sure other people have failed many times. And those are the kind of people that you go, okay, don't do that. <laughs> you know, um, so I'm a little bit more cautious. Like my husband does everything else, but I'm a little bit more cautious with risk taking and, 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 just giving people straight up money. It's kind of like, okay, you get money plus time or time plus this. And, and I, I think that is a better strategy for me when I'm going into organizations and saying, well, how much do you want for that? You know, um, or how much do you need to grow and scale your business? Because they will say, like you said, I want millions of dollars or I want X amount to do this. And you give it to them. And then you have your board meeting or you have, you know, a report and say, okay, how did, what did you do with my money? And they go, well, mm. we spent it. And, and there's these, there's, they, I don't, yeah, for me, I've always been bitten in that route, like yourself. And I just don't do that anymore. I I end up being very, very careful as to who I partner with, um, the kind of business partners I want to be business partners with. Um, so that partnership is the first step. It's like a dating almost. Like you, you're going into bed with these people long term. So it's not like let's swipe left and give that person my money. It's, hey, what are your values? How do you spend money? How do you treat your people? How do you treat your customers? And if I start getting a sense that, you know, they don't treat their customers very well or they don't treat their people very well or even their family, I get a little bit of a red flag syndrome and I I, I look at the owners, you know, and I look at who are going to be my business partners and what are they going to do with my money? Can I trust them? You know, so it's more of a partnership for me rather than just cold hard cash. Did that answer your question? <laughs> Sorry, was that a bit too? Yeah, yeah, it did. yeah. 
I, I know I, I was just waiting for Soheb to ask the, the closing questions. So I, I, I think we're hitting the hour mark. Yeah, I think we're a little bit over time, but I, I honestly feel like we can have, you know, another hour talking to Joanna because, you know, your perspective on not just, uh, you know, the technical side of investing in Thailand, but especially on the people element and the culture of Thailand has, uh, you know, it's pretty insightful. So, uh, Laurie, do you have any closing questions? Uh, yeah, Joanna, maybe you can tell us uh, like where, where our listeners can uh, find out more about you. Like, are you active on social or like some website they should visit? I'm terrible at social media. Um, you know, I know I should be posting some stuff on LinkedIn. I don't. Um, don't even touch Facebook. I do. I am on Instagram, but probably not the best place to, to, to find me there either. Um, look, the best place, I am a board member uh, for Australian Thai Chamber of Commerce, so they can certainly go to the Auschamp Thailand website. Um, they can obviously look me up on LinkedIn. Uh, my company is called simplescalablesolutions.com, so they can go there as well, But um, and, or through you guys. Awesome. Perfect. Sounds good. Awesome. So again, thank you so much, Joanna, for being on the Emerge podcast. It was a pleasure having you. And I can already see that we're going to have to have a follow-up episode with, with Joanna, Laurie, right? Because I, I still have like five questions in my head, but <laughs> yeah, we're yeah. a little over time. We, we, we uh, need yeah. to have you back like in six months and then we'll ask all the other questions that we Well, Laurie, I, I dare you to come to Thailand and then we can kind of show you some of the, the sites in Thailand. And uh, yeah, we'll go out with... Oh, we're both either in, in, in a yeah, week. I, I, I'm, I'm there on Monday, so oh, careful you? there. <laughs> Maybe we should. I, I might show up in your office on Tuesday morning for, for coffee. Let's do it. Just uh, yeah, email me. By the way, guys, none of those questions that you asked me were on this sheet that you asked me. But anyways. I, I told you. I told you. It was going to be super candid, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But again, it was very insightful. And I, I'm I'm 100% uh, sure that anyone who's you know considering investing into Thailand would love to listen to what you've said. Not just, again, on the technical side, but the cultural element. Because, of course... You know, there, there is a difference of what drives the Thai people and how you how you live with them and excel with them. So, again, thank you so much, Joanna, for thank being you with so us. Thank you so much, guys, for your time. I really Always appreciate pleasure, it. Laurie. And uh, we'll see you next week for a coffee, hopefully. All right. Let's Perfect. Do it. All right. Thank you. Bye, guys. While the world's still asleep, we're already grinding. Walking for a streets, big city lights so blinding. Learning and hustling in this relentless game. The Emerge Pods next up, we're breaking the frame. Why the world yeah. sleep? We're breaking the frame. We are uh, grinding. The emerge pods next up. We're breaking the frame. Big city lights. Yeah. Woo. So blinding. Check it out. Okay. Yeah. Let's go. Let's get it. Yeah. Yeah. We're breaking yeah. the frame.